Welcome to Talking History. I'm Cassie Cooper. I'll be your host on the show. This podcast will cover United States history from the post-Civil War era during westward expansion to the modern era. We will talk about the political, social, and economic developments that have helped to shape the United States into what it is today. We will analyze the many achievements and mistakes through a historic lens to better understand the events as they occurred and see how they shape our world today. Welcome back, friends. Last episode, we looked at the causes, the mania that led to the outbreak of war in Europe and around the world in 1914, specifically at the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand by a tubercular youth. Today, we're going to look at the reasons why the United States finally joins the conflict in 1917. So hold on to your hats. You're in for a ride. and the Great War had begun. Diplomats tried to smooth things over after the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand, but nothing was to be smoothed. And before long, Austro-Hungarian Empire had declared war on Serbia. They still had no proof that the Serbians had been involved in the assassination, but they would get the proof after they got the nation. At the same time, alliances come into play, and their great ally, Germany, declares war on France. France has been mustering their armies. Russia has been mustering their armies. So Germany goes to Belgium and tells them, we fear that the French are ready to invade you. Please let us come through your country to protect you. Well, the Belgians have no plan of this, and they put up a stiff resistance, even though they have been a neutral country for many years because of an old, old alliance. The French try to help them, but at the same time, the Belgian resistance is much, is much stiffer than the Germans had imagined. They flood parts of their country. They have extremely well-shielded, uh, fortified cities, and slows down the German advance long enough for the French to prepare themselves. Well, the Germans come in hot and heavy to France, pushing straight towards Paris. However, new technologies come into play, and the French have a plane they're using to spot troop movements. And they noticed one of the armies heading towards Paris making a turn around it because the Germans love to encircle cities. Very similar to what we're seeing the Russians do in Ukraine today. Well, with knowledge that this army had turned, the French, through an army of 600 taxi cabs, bring reinforcements to the front and are able to stop the German advance. Now, the Germans then try something different. As they are stopped staring at Paris and staring at the French soldiers in front of them, instead of pushing forward, they push down. They start digging. And the French start digging too. And we have the beginnings of trench warfare. The lines of trenches stretch all the way to the coast. And bogged down in this French this trench warfare where we fight for inches with the loss of hundreds of thousands no side holds an advantage between 1914 and 1917. European and Asian powers make extra alliances, and you end up with two sides finalized in World War I at the beginning. You have the central powers of Germany, Austria, Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire, and you have the allied powers of Britain, France, Italy, 
Russia, and Belgium. They will also have Japan on their side. The Americans are overwhelmingly trying to stay neutral and out of the war. After all they dealt with, with their push for empire and the atrocities they learned of during the Filipino-American War, Americans themselves were, were tending towards isolationism and staying outside of world events that did not have to involve them. Many in the U.S. just saw this as a European affair and was not worth sending their own boys to die in. In fact, in 1915, right after the war had begun, the most popular song in America was this little ditty. That's right. Most popular song in America in 1915 was I Didn't Raise My Boy to Be a Soldier. While we were pushing to stay out of the war, American opinions did start to splinter. While we all majority opposed risking U.S. lives, there were other interests at stake. You had the fact that we were in our wave of immigration, so we have naturalized immigrants who were supporting their countries of origin, wherever that was Germany, Ireland, etc., you have Americans feeling favoritism towards Great Britain as, you know, the commonplace of many of our ancestors with the same language, government styles, economies, strong ties between our two nations. However, Germany, German was the second most spoken language in our country at that time. Well, before long, while Americans opposed going to war, there was a strong favoritism towards an allied power's victory, especially if you look at the exports. We had a much much deeper economic tie to Great Britain. As well, there started to be trouble on the high seas. During World War I, U.S. companies were profiting greatly from demand for goods from the Allies and from the Central Powers. They were buying guns from us, subs, explosives, food. Our trade with Germany went down to a trickle. More goods were sent to U.K. and France, both because of the British naval blockade and because the Germans started unrestricted submarine warfare. That meant they would sink any boats, the U-boats would sink any boats in British waters, regardless of who they are. And this leads to May 7, 1915, and the sinking of the Lusitania. A German U-boat torpedoed this British liner off the coast of Ireland. 1,198 people were killed, including 128 Americans. Germany claimed the ship carried munitions. Most evidence points to that being true. However, U.S. public opinion firmly turned against Germany. No longer were we eating sauerkraut. Now it was time 
for Freedom Kraut. Eager to avoid war still, President Woodrow Wilson ignored calls for military action. He threatened to cut off diplomacy of Germany if they didn't cease killing innocents. In fact, in 1916, for his re-election campaign, he ran on a slogan of keeping America out of the war. So, ignoring U.S. threats, Germany expands its submarine warfare in 1917 to all ships within sight. And though people are turning against Germany, the American people are still hesitant to go to war. This tragedy of the Lusitania is unforgivable, but we are weary of sending our boys to die across seas. Wilson vows to wait until Germany commits an overt act of war. And then, the Zimmerman note. Germany had pushed ahead for war. January 16th, 1917, Britain intercepted a telegram intended for the German for the German ambassador to Mexico. It was sent from the German foreign minister. The message proposed an alliance between Mexico and Germany against the United States. Germany promised victory against the United States, and upon that victory to return Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico to Mexico. All lands lost from the Mexican cessation in the Mexican-American War of the 19th century. Germany also assured Mexico that Britain was about to surrender because of submarine warfare. This telegram, once it was given to the United States, because it was not handed over immediately, Britain waited for the most strategic moment. Well, it was published in U.S. media. And this turned public opinion in favor of the war and another example of yellow journalism. So this provocation left President Wilson no choice but to ask for war. At the same time, the Russians have bowed out of the war in 1917, making it easier for us to enter. They are embroiled in their own civil war, which will lead to the creation of the first communist nation in our world's history. At this point now, the conflict is a matter of moral diplomacy. Wilson's center point of foreign policy. It is democracy versus the evils of the Kaiser, the evils of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the evils of empire in general. America would enter the war to defend democracy worldwide. And on April 2nd, 1917, America entered World War I. Wilson went before Congress pledging to make the world safe for democracy and asking Congress to declare war on Germany. They passed his request two days later. Wilson asserts that the war is a moral responsibility, and victory means an ultimate peace. He assures the world that America has no desire for spoils of war, no selfish ends to serve. He and the American people are joining to create a new order of peace and freedom through U.S. leadership. Wilson envisions a war that will bring lasting peace. Sadly, this is not the case. We'll see you next time on Talking History of Big Coop. Remember to subscribe and tell your friends.